welcome to this uh, next podcast in the Notes on Neuromuscular series. Uh, my name is uh, Anna Mayhew. I'm a physiotherapist at the John Walton Muscular Dystrophy Research Centre. Um, but more importantly, in today's podcast, I am joined by Annette. Annette, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Annette Costello. I'm from Dublin and I am uh, delighted to be on your podcast today. Thank you. Now, maybe we should explain, Annette, how um, myself here in uh, the north of England uh, gets to know you in Dublin. How did that happen? Yes, I'd be delighted to explain how I came across uh, the wonderful team in Newcastle. Um, I was diagnosed with dyspherulinopathy, limb girdle muscular dystrophy type 2B, um, in 2006 and my neurologist uh, was very forward thinking and had discussed my case with Professor Bushby and that's how I came to meet the team in Newcastle and then I was very fortunate to be offered a place in the first clinical outcome study and here I am. Here you are. And that's how we met, because I was the physiotherapist at those first appointments, Annette, and uh, we met each other. And of course, in these natural history studies, which we will talk a little bit more about a little bit later, uh, we spend a long time together. And not only do we do all the assessments, but we get to have a chin wag as well. And um, I think we found a, a natural love of chin wagging, Annette, uh, which um, makes you the perfect person to, to join me on this podcast. So you've guessed it, this podcast is, um, we want to talk about limb girdle muscular dystrophy and living with such a condition. So you've already explained that you have a particular type of limb girdle muscular dystrophy called dysferlinopathy. Um, you say you were diagnosed in 2006, but when did you was that a straightforward diagnosis or when did you first notice issues? To cut a very, very long story short, I had um, an asthma attack and I was brought to uh, my local hospital and uh, my CK was through the roof. And of course, they connected me to an ECG, a monitor, and that thankfully was in order and no, no issues with my heart and they were mystified. So at this stage, my chest infection had turned into pneumonia. So I was admitted and I was recuperating nicely from the pneumonia. And then as happens to me on a fairly regular basis, I fell one evening in my room. And um, so I was sitting on the floor crying because I couldn't get back up. Yeah. And um, so they were all very concerned. And I said, no, I just fell. Can you help me get back up and everything is fine? And they said, no, this isn't normal. You just don't fall for no reason. And they investigated it. So I was very fortunate. I was in the right place at the right time. And mm -hmm. they were already suspicious about my CK being so elevated. Yeah. And then they did um, a muscle biopsy in my thigh. And that went off for analysis. And after that, I was referred to a neurologist. So the timeline mm -hmm. was really, really fast. And um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I had a history of falling. Like I, Everybody thought, how could one person be so clumsy? And, you know, okay. people used to say I was too busy noticing everybody else and not paying attention <laughs> to my surroundings and my environment. And I was just a bit of a nosy parker, really. And that was okay. the problem. 
Okay, so, so they had you down as clumsy and nosy, oh, yes. and that's why yeah. you kept falling over. It's it's very interesting, isn't it, how these uh, myths uh, happen, or we find other ways to explain away quite significant um, issues. Um, and I think that's that's perhaps a slightly unusual presentation, um, uh, Annette, because. For some people, they go round and round the houses for a long time and get labelled with many other things, um, it, more than just being lazy, lazy or inquisitive um, um, be, before they before they come to um, a, a diagnosis. So I think perhaps you're right. You were fortunate. I should also mention, Anna, that I could be most kindly described at that time as pleasantly plump. So when I had <laughs> problems getting up from a seated position or steps, I was just yeah. thinking, oh, I need to um, lose weight. And oh, I forgot to mention one time, many, many years before that, I had elevated AST and ALT, which are the liver enzymes, and I was sent off for a liver biopsy. And I remember seeing the consultant afterwards, and he patted me on the shoulder and said, just lose a few pounds and you'll be fine. Okay. And I was just, yeah. okay. And subsequently, I have met other people with limb girdle, that have also had needless um, yeah. liver biopsies. And, you know, liver biopsies are not, you know, something you'd be rushing for. I'd rather get a, a muscle biopsy than a liver biopsy, based on my experience. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, could, can I just ask, did you ever have, did you notice that it was difficult to stand on tiptoes? Was that an issue for you, Annette? Uh, yes, I think having the problem standing on my tippy toes again it's something else that I would have attributed to being overweight um, because there were so many things that could easily have been explained as lose a few pounds or lose a few stone in my case and everything will be peachy Um, so every time there was something amiss I was saying I really need to lose weight and I used to go swimming then and uh, because you know in the water every well I'm I'm certainly much better in the water but then I'd go to a regular swimming pool the water wouldn't be as warm as, you know, specialized uh, hydrotherapy pools. Yeah. And of course, I'd be so long getting showered and dressed. I'd get a cold that would turn into a chest infection. Um, but yes, so there, in my experience, so many things could have been attributed to being overweight. And okay. now I know that wasn't necessarily that correct. That's, that's a, that is definitely a, a red herring. That shouldn't be the reason that, 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 you, uh, that you fall. Okay, so um, tell me, where are you at now? What are you able to do, Annette? Well, it's a story of two halves, Anna, because up until the 9th of January, I was independently transferring from my bed to my wheelchair, wheelchair to the toilet, um, uh, rising recliner chair back to the wheelchair, standing up and all of that. And I was going about my business quite happily. And um, then, unfortunately, I fell on the 9th of January. My left knee, I was transferring from my upstairs wheelchair to get onto the stairs chair. And my left knee buckled. And because I was so in such a tight space between the two chairs, I literally fell down like an accordion and broke my two ankles, the medial, medial, medial malleolus. Well done. Yeah. And so I um, knew instantly because, you know, I am the queen of falling that I had done something more serious than torn ligaments and muscles. And now as a result of those fractures, 
Um, I can't transfer independently, really. I can, some days I can transfer at a 90 degree angle from the bed to the chair using a walking frame. So you're at the point of learning to transfer, building up your strength after those fractures um, and, and generally trying to get hold of rehab so you can gain as much independence and go back into your own home. That is my very strong a goal at the moment and I know I have to listen to my body but equally I have to be positive and determined and um, do as much as I can to help myself. Perfect and so do you have a bit of a team around you Annette to help make that happen? Who's important in that team? Well currently I'm in a step-down facility or transitional care unit and there is physios and OTs here um, but to be honest, I place most of my reliance on my community, OT, yep. who is an absolute angel and I would be lost without her. And, you know, she knows me for a, a good long number of years and uh, she's able to help me get things organized for when I go home because I've had to get a portable hoist. And she is so supportive and encouraging. And I'm Excellent. going to be meeting the community physios um when i when i'm discharged uh so we can do more um of a program when i'm at home yeah Yeah. because even though i'm being well looked after here i think when i'm in my own environment i will thrive yes yes i think i think many people feel that but as you say you need that community team uh, around you so the ot is there helping you with adaptations problem solving uh, how to keep your independence in the home. And I, I'm assuming that's in all rooms of the house. So that'll be the bathroom, the bedroom, the kitchen um, and moving around the house and getting in and out of the house as well. Absolutely. Yes. And sometimes she can see further down the road than I can. And I can be okay. a bit blinkered and yep. maybe um, just closed minded at times. Okay. Um, but uh, Alison, who's the OT, she's so kind like the team in Newcastle and you know can frame things in a way that makes it easier to hear rather than some people saying no this is the way forward you've yeah that's it and it's black and white you know so it's about trying to future proof your home um, because even though you have every intention to get back to independent transfers we know this is a progressive uh, condition and we need to say that it may not always be possible Yes, absolutely. And as a result of recent events, I now have accepted that having a ceiling track hoist is not the end of the world. It's there to help me. And, you know, with this condition, some days you're more fatigued than others. And, you know, the days when I wouldn't feel confident to stand up safely, and it's all about safety first, I know I will have the ceiling track hoist to get me out of bed and everything to flow smoothly. I don't know about everybody else, but if my day starts off badly, it just sets the tone. And I want my mornings to start off as positively as possible. And then in my mind, I think my day is going to go a bit more smoothly. Excellent. So it's about giving you um, options and using the using your energy and strength for the things that you want to do. That's correct. Yeah, great. So um, we've talked about how important it is to have that community team um but from your own perspective what advice would you give to someone else who perhaps was newly diagnosed to 
to to a limb girdle condition? What would you, what's your top tips? Well, I have a few, Anna, because, you know, I'm a bit of a chatterbox. (laughs) But I think the most important thing is to let people know how you really feel. And if you're having a bad day, you know, say it. Now, I'm not saying that you should be negative about the condition because there are so many positives about it and you can live a full and active life. Active is subjective. So what I consider an active life for me, a marathon runner might think is a very sedentary, boring life. But for me, it's a great life when yeah. you know things are going well. I think it's also hugely important to tell your clinicians what's really going on. They are not mind readers. And, you know, clinicians don't know you as well as some community um, yes. physicians would know, or even the people in Newcastle or the other uh, centres, because they see you uh, uh, for a couple of hours uh, on a regular basis. But if you're seeing your neurologist uh, on a six monthly basis, yeah. they're under time pressure and they don't have time to draw you out. And I think you also need to be prepared going to each visit. Approach it like an exam. You prepare, you (laughs) enter it, you give your information, and then everybody has the full picture because, you know, people are, professionals are not psychic. uh, I mean, clinicians, and neither are your family. And, you know, they can look at your face, they can look at how you move, but they don't know what's going on. So I think you need to be honest and honest with yourself as well. For me in the hoist, I was in denial. And then as a result, I, you know, I was on the back foot then when I actually needed it. So I think, you know, but you also have to come around things in your own time frame. Yes, yes. I think that's absolutely true. I know that, you know, sometimes my discussions with um, individuals can be over for several years when we're discussing, you know, the need for a wheelchair or the need for an electric wheelchair or more support or a mobility scooter. And again, it isn't about, it's about giving information and giving people time to digest that. So uh, it's interesting. So I think we should talk about this Newcastle team and the natural history study that you are part of, which is how we met. Um, you've, you've had that opportunity so tell me a little bit about this natural history study and your perspective so I had never heard of a natural history study until um, I was contacted as a result of being a member of the Jane Foundation and again it was my neurologist Professor Dominic McCabe who had told me about this foundation as soon as I was diagnosed and encouraged me to sign up and then um, Newcastle must have had liaised with the Jane Foundation and they were setting up their natural history study and asked me would I be um, interested and I needed no further encouragement (laughs) I thought um, if you know whatever about it being of use to me uh, in future um, generations and hopefully not too far away uh, there would be a um, as, as something that could help people um reduce the progression slow the progression yeah and, so a therapeutic and trial yeah exactly exactly and you know my whole goal is to contribute as much as i can based on my experience and my blood tests and you know the dreaded mri um okay you know, so now that's you've, required excellent so you brushed on a little bit about what was expected of you when you came to newcastle so what what did you have to do 
Well, on the first visit, it was uh, getting to know you and getting yeah. to know my capabilities. And there were the blood blood tests and yeah. the um, echo and the ECG and the MRI and um, then the you know stand up, sit down, um, move this Turn way, around. move that yeah. way. The 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 grips. And then I don't know what the name of that little machine is, the green one, and you hold it, you push against it, and you push, well, you have it in your hand. Excellent. Uh, I, I'm loving all this. I'm loving the description of all these tests. Uh, so, so perfect. So, you came over, you would see the doctor, the nurse, the physiotherapist, um, you had your bloods taken, you had your heart checked. Um, you also went for an MRI, which is not always part of a natural history study, but that is um, a special imaging to actually look at your muscles. Um, people have MRIs for different reasons, but this is a uh, takes some uh, fancy pictures of your muscles. And then you'd also have an enormous battery of um, checking to see what you were able or not able to do. Uh, and that's where the physio came in. So that was We'd look, as you say, your ability to stand up, turn around and keep moving um, a little bit about how far and fast you could walk if you were able to walk. A bit about your muscle strength. Yeah, I my first visit, I remember I was doing the six minute walk down the corridor and I was delighted with myself. And then, you know, maybe two years later, I was down to the 10 meter walk and now you know, there's no walk at all. There's no walk. Um, but I think you raise a really important point, Annette, because a natural history study and a progressive disease measures change, and that's not a positive change. So how has that felt? Because we weren't offering you hope. We were offering you lots of assessments and hard work. So how did that feel? Well, for me personally, I always knew that uh, limb girdle 2B was going to be uh, progressive non-treatable. And here was a glimmer of hope that at some point in the future, there would be pharmaceutical companies interested in the outcomes of yeah. these natural history studies. And, you know, scientists are always coming up with new um, ideas and, you know, with the support of the clinicians, they sometime in the future would have some treatment that would be available. So in the future, when people are diagnosed, um, they might have an opportunity to say, well, this is um, a pharmaceutical company that is about to launch or has launched something that could really help. And, you know, there have been positive outcomes in other um, clinical trials. And, you know, I would be confident that at some point, uh to be will be on that success scale and and i think i can confirm that because we started that natural history study a long time ago that was the first phase of our um, outcome measures study and um all of the data that were collected on over 200 individuals um worldwide um we have learned so much about the course of the disease how it changes over time, the different rates of progression. We've looked at how it's different for men and women, in how it's different for different ethnicities. Um, and as you say, all of 
all every single test that you did has contributed to our understanding the MRI, the breathing, the strength, what you were able to do and how it changes. It's a huge job on your part and what you offered us. But I do think that the returns have been significant. And we know that what we have learned has been useful to to our industry partners. And as you say, then, you know, there is some uh, hope in the future as, as we look to therapeutic trials um, taking place. However, I mean, that's a very altruistic um, opinion. Was there any other good reason to traipse all the way to Newcastle to see the team? Without a shadow of a doubt, I looked forward to coming to see the team because we always have a good um, interaction and a laugh and, um, you know, chit chat about different things and you know, I personally think, you know, the people in Newcastle are, uh, are some of the friendliest people I've ever met. And I always feel so relaxed. And I also think the Jane Foundation is so supportive and acknowledges that travel can be fatiguing. And um, in my experience, I was always allowed to travel the night before. And so then I'd have a hopefully a good sleep and arrive at uh, the RVI uh, refreshed and ready to go and yeah. give it my best um, because I think with this condition a fatigue has a huge impact um, and yeah I okay I don't like the cold and I don't perform well in the cold so I always try to schedule my visits uh, when it's really warm. It, it's good isn't it because it's, it's always so warm and welcoming in Newcastle uh, the weather uh, don't don't you think it's never, well, never you know, my first visit there was snow and <laughs> I was thinking oh my goodness I did not expect this and at that stage I was walking with the two crutches and there was sleep coming down I was in all I need is one of the crutches to take off yeah. and I'll be back again and <laughs> yeah, for the yeah back, again, study, back again it'll be back to say guess what I yes. had a mishap so so I'm going to just pick up on one little point. So Annette, I know we often we'd, we'd spend a very, very long time doing the assessments, but I think it would be fair to say that we were also able to offer you a little bit more advice and input around exercises and stretches and equipment that might be helpful and orthotics, so supportive devices, which which may be helpful. It, is that is that true or was that all a bit of a was no, that in my absolute, imagination absolutely true and <laughs> which yeah uh, without sounding selfish it's another good reason to sign up for a, a natural history study because you spend a day with these experts and you know they can offer things that they see on a day-to-day basis that i or any other participants wouldn't see on a day-to-day basis and in ireland there aren't too many people with um to like limb girdle 2b so you know clinicians are always learning and then if I can take away some knowledge from what I've learned from the team in Newcastle and share it with other people informally, um, it's to benefit all of us. Yeah, yeah. I, and so, I mean, that's lovely to hear. And I mean, you know, it is it's something that we pride ourselves on in Newcastle, that when you come for an assessment at the same time, the important point of assessment um, out, out with of a natural history study is that we link that assessment with how we can help you um, and giving you a good quality of care and advice and making sure that you are hooked up uh, with with the right people. And that's probably quite a nice segue, actually, um, Annette, because, as you know, we're working on some um, standards of care 
for dysphalinopathy. So looking at um, the literature and expert opinion and formulating really practical advice um, for individuals with um, dysphalinopathy, but also for clinicians about what they need to monitor and what they need to look out for, um, what clinicians can offer, uh, what what individuals can expect might be useful uh, and so that um, everybody benefits. So that's something that's underway uh, at the moment. So um, I really, I really hope we just carry, I mean, I I don't wish this really, but I hope we can stay in touch. uh, Annette after all of that conversation. Um, Thank you so much. Is there anything that you'd like to close with? Um. I would actively encourage anyone who's listening, if they get an opportunity to participate in a natural history study for anything, that they should really consider it. I know for those who are working or parents with young children, they have to um, organise their time away from home or work or whatever. But in my experience, it is so worthwhile and you meet great people and learn, learn so much. Even though it's a natural history study for the benefit of the ultimately the pharmaceutical companies and society, you personally will learn a lot more than you would initially think. Um, so it's a give and take, but you um, are well, well uh, looked after and, you know, you learn so much. It's just definitely something that everyone should seriously consider if they get the opportunity. Excellent. And I, I, I agree. I've loved being part of this natural history study. And even though I have had expertise in this disease, there's nothing like being fully immersed in a really big group of individuals uh, and, and learning about how, how change happens. And uh, for me, there's been an opportunity to look at the data but also understand the individual within that data and and the implications. And I hope that we continue to work with, this is the important thing, um, the triangulation between uh, our sponsors, like uh, like the Jane Foundation and their knowledge, individuals with the condition, the clinicians, um, and hopefully together we can um, continue to make a difference for, for, for other people. But thank you so much, Annette, for your time today. Thank you for having me, Anna. You're welcome.